insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, what on earth can we say about Justin Trudeau and his budget today other than it's baffle gab and BS? Hello, welcome to the program. My name's Brian Lilly, and you know what? I actually don't want to start on the budget today. I don't. Even though he's doing nothing but spreading baffle gab and BS. Did you hear that he's going to spend a ton of money to get women into the construction industry because not enough women are in construction? Well, we've already got a ton of money saying women aren't in science and technology enough, so we've got to spend a ton of money on that. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you this. What's the percentage of women in teaching? One of the highest paying jobs in Ontario. What's the percentage on that? What is the percentage on, and by the way, that's across the country, what's the percentage of women in nursing? We're talking upwards of 85% in both. Is there any attempt to get men into nursing or teaching? No. So this is not about gender equality. This is about pandering to votes for the 2019 election, just like the whole India trip last week was about pandering to votes for the 2019 election. This budget is about pandering to votes for the 2019 election. I could imagine my mother is, what year is it? It's 2018, carry the one. Uh, So she's 73 now. I know previously I've said on previous shows she's 74. I aged her and I got an earful. She's 73, and I can imagine that in her generation... She was told she couldn't do certain jobs because she's woman. Uh, she's a woman. And I'm sure that the people that told her that got an earful. Because if you've met Ronnie, well, you would understand. But damn it, I am closer to retirement than I am to starting my working career. And I don't know a single woman my age or younger that feels that they cannot do the job they want because they're a woman. Maybe they can't do the job they want because they don't have the skill sets, but hey, welcome to reality. That's where I am. Ask me what I'd rather be doing right now than hosting a talk radio show. I'd rather be a world-famous singer. Mm, I'd love to tour the stadiums. I'd love to have been a retired I'd love to be a retired professional soccer player. Okay, so in order, I would like to have been Celtics. I'd I'd like to be the number one striker for Glasgow Celtic and be retired. And after that, if I couldn't do that, then I would choose to be like as big as Bono from U2. But I don't have the skill sets for either one of those jobs. I can't sing. And I'm not good enough at soccer to come close to that. If you don't have the skill set, you can't get the job. But nobody I know 
in my generation or younger has been told that they cannot get the job because, well, they're the wrong gender. But if you listen to Willie Porno's entire budget speech today, sorry, Bill Morneau. Did I call him Willie Porno? Yeah, I've had trouble taking Bill Morneau seriously since I found out that his high school nickname was Willie Porno. And uh, there's a lot of other things in his high school yearbook photo and description that I can't actually say on radio without losing my job. But you can find it all on Twitter because I tweeted out his yearbook photo earlier today. I have trouble taking Bill Morneau seriously on these issues, especially since I found out that's his nickname. I just giggle. I like, yeah, I admit I'm juvenile. I'm a kid. I'm just, I, I can't stop laughing at it. But he's out there talking about this. He's saying women are strong. Women are so good. We need more women in the workforce, but you can't do it without government help. It was the most patrician and insulting thing I've ever heard. Women, you know what I'm talking about. You've got this man telling you that without the government helping you, you can't get the job that you want. Like I said, we all have jobs that we'd love to have, but we don't have the skill set for. I'd love to be a rocket scientist. Have you taken a science course? Not since grade nine. Okay, well, you're out of the job contention, right? We all have those type of situations. But when was the last time somebody said, Oh, Lucy, you can't do that job. You're a woman. It's when Desi Arnaz was on freaking TV and not on repeats. We're not in 1957. We're not in 1962. I don't know what these people are talking about. I don't understand them. I've been working in industries dominated by women almost my entire career. The bureau chief for CTV News up on Parliament Hill is a woman. Trying to think of the bureau chief for Canadian Press is a woman. Uh, the Globe and Mail, I don't know who the Globe is. The Star, I don't know, they're kind of weird and equal. Was a guy, was a woman, it's moved around a bunch. I don't know who it is. Um, There's probably more women reporting on parliamentary politics than men. There's more women in uh, medicine than men these days. There are more women in teaching and nursing and medicine, in medical school to be doctors. There's more women in the legal profession. But Bill Morneau's got money out there to put women in construction, which is weird because my father worked construction, industrial construction his whole life. It's kind of precarious employment, to use a term that he's fond of. The pay is really great when things are good, and it's horrible when things are bad. You learn the EI system real well when things are bad, believe you me. And he's out there claiming that women earn 69 cents on the dollar now, not 77 cents. All of this, by the way, is complete BS. Complete BS. If I could pay women 60, if I'm a manager and I could pay women 69 cents on the dollar, wouldn't I just hire nothing but women? But this is their 
distraction. This is their bucket of distraction chicken today. Because they are out there trying to make sure that nobody pays attention to the fact that Justin Trudeau today is admitting that when it comes to his conspiracy theory on India, that, well, it turns out to be true. Prime Minister Trudeau was grilled on this today. He was grilled on it time and time again. Why were you putting forward your national security advisor to claim that what went forward was nothing but a conspiracy theory, claiming that India was trying to make him look bad while he was there last week? Canada's national security agencies and police services are nonpartisan, both highly competent and effective. We trust them to promote and protect Canadian security. They continue to do an excellent job in serving and protecting the interests of Canadians. Oh, yeah. Do you really believe them? Do you really believe Justin Trudeau when he says that? Because I'll tell you, I don't. He actually admitted today that what I have claimed since the weekend, and I was the first person to name Daniel Jean, that what I claimed on the weekend, that it was the National Security Advisor that was put forward, he admitted that it's true. Who I know knows the rules well. And ha- Prime Minister Sher Keynes that no other individuals with links to extremist or terrorist organizations were at any of the official events in India while he was there. In this country, we take very seriously the the responsibility of keeping Canadians safe, of countering violent extremism, of fighting against terrorism. And I can assure the member opposite and indeed all Canadians that our national security agencies and our police agencies uh, do everything necessary to keep all Canadians safe at all times. My apologies. I think that was the wrong clip. And let me try this one. Order. Order. Because for 10 years, they uh, used uh, the the professional public service uh, for partisan ends. Uh, They torqued the public service every possible way they could. And they do not understand that our professional nonpartisan public service does high quality work and when uh, one of our top diplomats and security officials uh, says something to Canadians it's because they know it to be true when one of our top people says something it's because they know it to be true so the national security advisor the question was why are you having the national security advisor claim that India was behind Jasper Atwal the terrorist going to the dinner and the Mumbai Bollywood reception with the prime minister he says well if they said it it's because it's true hmm interesting that interesting that the prime minister is willing to say that that's true which is going to destroy relations between Canada and India Interesting that he's willing to throw relations with a country that is 1.3 billion people, growing at 7% per year GDP, a country that we could be doing an incredible amount of business with, but is not a dictatorship like China, of which he admires their basic dictatorship. 
There are some days that I wake up and I can't believe that this man is our prime minister. And then I look at days like today and I realize he could very well be our prime minister for a long time. Because an awful lot of women who are women that are in good jobs, this entire budget today is designed to make Justin Trudeau say, we're there for you. We believe in you women. And women will skew towards the liberal position. They naturally do already, and then they will in greater numbers because he will tell them that they are being oppressed and that if it is not for him and his government, that they and their daughters will not have the opportunities that they need. And women that are in good jobs will say, yeah, yeah, without him, I can't succeed. I, I don't understand it. And I know that those of you listen to me now, and I want to hear from you. Women of the CFRA Nation, I want to hear from you. What is it that your sisters, your friends, your cousins say to you to make them believe that what Justin Trudeau tells them is true? Because it is the most patronizing thing I have ever heard today. Women are strong. We need more of them in the workforce. It makes the workforce better. But they can't do it without Bill Morneau, Willie Porno, and Justin Trudeau making it so. I'd love to hear from you. Beyond the News at CFRA.com. We'll open up the phone lines later on. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. The top five stories that you need to know coming up next. Uh, just after 7.30, we'll speak to a reporter that was in the lockup. Uh, Theo from Bloomberg will join us. Uh, after 8 o'clock, it'll be uh, Pierre Polyev. And then a lawyer is taking issue with what I had to say about Omar Khadr's lawyer going to the federal court. You'll hear from Solomon Friedman. Yes, I always say he's my defense lawyer. I've got him on speed dial. He's not happy with me. Maybe he won't take me when I'm in need. All of that on the show tonight and a whole lot more. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Please. Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Now, my uh, 15-year-old daughter thinks I sound like, quote, an arrogant jerk by claiming that uh, other people will catch up with me later. Uh, but I did claim that it was Daniel Jean on the weekend that was spreading the conspiracy theory about India. And, hey, I was right. So um, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Everyone's chasing me now. Uh, I'll read to you from uh, Terry Glavin, who is Terry and I are opposites politically in some ways and yet come together on many key important issues on others. Terry would tell you is a man of the left and he is um, but he's very concerned about national security issues, unlike many on today's left. And he's got a, a, a damning piece on the Trudeau government and how this whole thing with Daniel John went down um, in McLean's. I'll read you some of that later on. Story number two that you need to know about. It is the federal budget. It is out today in Scotiabank Chief Economist Jean-Francois Perrault said one thing that shocked him was the amount of extra spending 
included in this budget. We've seen the budget a pretty significant increase in expenditures relative to what we thought. Um, so as a result, the budget's a bit more stimulative than we thought. In an environment where growth is already strong, in an environment where you probably don't need that extra little bit of stimulus. And part of that extra spending uh, is dropping the Phoenix pay system. It was two years ago tomorrow that the federal government instituted the Phoenix pay system. Uh, It had been given a dry run by the Harper conservatives. It was found wanting. The election happened. Justin Trudeau and the liberals came in and said, run with it. We can get savings and spend the money elsewhere. It's been a disaster ever since. Story number three you need to know. Patrick Brown is out. The other four contenders continue to campaign. And today, Doug Ford out in the Barrie area or Bracebridge area campaigning to try and become the next premier of Ontario. We've met so many people across the the province that truly have a choice between heating and eating. Between heating and eating. Between that and his other line, which is cap taxes trade win. Doug Ford looks in good shape. Christine Elliott going neck and neck with him. Uh, Christine, um, Caroline Mulroney and uh, Tanya Gynack-Allen running behind them would be my take on it. We'll talk about that later on. Former U.S. President Bill Clinton, among many, paying his respects to the late Reverend Billy Graham Clinton, showing up in Charlotte, North Carolina this morning, escorted into Graham's boyhood home where the casket is sitting. I'm just here as another person grateful. Bill Clinton, like so many of us, grateful for what Billy Graham brought the world. Graham died last week at the age of 99. His body will lie in honor at the U.S. Capitol tomorrow and Thursday. His funeral will be Friday back in Charlotte. President Donald Trump expected to attend. And uh, I can tell you that Billy Graham has touched my life personally, and I'm sure he has with many of you as well. And story number five, think back to your teenage years, as I tell you that the jacket worn by James Dean in the film Rebel Without a Cause is for sale. It was just an off-the-rack jacket, but it's a rare piece of pop culture. James Dean's red nylon bomber-style jacket will be auctioned this week in Florida. Palm Beach Modern Auction says it's expected to go for between $400,000 and $600,000. While it's still in good shape, it's got a cigarette burn on the left sleeve and the waist had to be taken in to fit Dean. The current owner has had it since the 1980s after a friend with connections to the film left it to him in his will. I'm Archie Saraletta. Wouldn't you love to have that jacket? I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Coming up on 731 here on News Talk 580 CFRA News is next. Then we'll get some of the fiscal details from the budget from a man that was in the lockup back in moments. official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So a couple of big local issues. Before we get to the big national issues, a couple of local issues in the federal budget today. There's going to be money for the new library, Library and Archives Canada, agreeing to partner with the city of Ottawa on a new central library. I know some people are upset. Oh, it's 
A block west of Bronson. Ooh, they're going to lose their minds. Uh, that's one story that's very important. I think this is good news for us. And then there's the Phoenix pay system that Catherine Latham was reporting about on CTV News at 6. But on the second anniversary of the disastrous Phoenix pay system rollout, the federal government admitting today there is no fix in sight. Instead, throwing another $431 million in new money to deal with issues and hire staff, 1,500 employees in total, now to manage pay problems. The CRA will get $5.5 million to help manage income tax issues due to Phoenix, another $16 million just to begin the search for a new pay system. The Phoenix fiasco now with a nearly $1 billion price tag with much more to come. A billion dollars and much more to come, and we don't have anything to show for it other than people not being paid for the last two years. Uh, Theo Argetis is the uh, bureau chief for Bloomberg up on Parliament Hill, joins me now. Uh, Theo, before I ask you about the the overall scale, you and I have covered Parliament for a long time. Um, This is a a very nonpartisan question. Is there a government computer system that works uh, that's that's a, a good question, Brian. I mean, um, uh, in my time here in Ottawa, I've never been uh, that impressed with uh, the federal government's IT uh, capacity and and uh, proficiency. But uh, yeah, well, uh, they spent a billion dollars so far, and they still can't pay people, and now they're going to spend more. And then who knows where it'll go? I'm I, I'm just a little worried. It's it's not that there aren't good IT people that work for the government, but you got a thousand cooks and nobody in charge. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is uh, a problem uh, generally with um, with innovation uh, and and the federal bureaucracy. They've just never uh, been good at it. Um, governments, not just in Canada, but everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, globally, uh, are are not as adept at doing innovation as as private companies, and so, uh, the less they do, probably the better. Let me ask you about the uh, the budget overall. Uh, you and I were on the campaign trail 2015. We we listened to Justin Trudeau say he'll run three small uh, deficits, 10 billion a year, and then balance the budget by 2019, which, funny enough, was just ahead of. The next election. Now they're saying 2023. Of course, we've got those federal finance department reports saying unless we change course, it'll be the 2040s or 2050s before we balance. What was your takeaway from the state of the nation's finances after today's budget lockup? Well, I mean, I think the, 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 the government uh, is uh, trying to do two things. Uh, one, uh, it's trying to uh, deliver on um, uh, some of its campaign promises from that 2015 uh, election. It's trying to, uh, to uh, deliver um, on, its, on its agenda and, and provide uh, some money, uh, uh, quite a bit of money, a spring sprinkled widely on a number of priorities but at the same time it's also trying to show that uh there you know there 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 is some fiscal discipline in place and uh even though they're not trying to balance the budget uh, i'm not sure uh, even if they are uh, uh I, i'm not i don't think that there is a, a balance in the fiscal outlook at all i don't think the the outlook goes beyond 2022 uh you know they want to show that at least there's a downward path so they're trying to to balance these two, these two things essentially. The 
I'm hearing the number $21.5 billion in new spending, but that's over several years. I I was very critical of Stephen Harper and the conservatives, and I know my critics will, you know, question that, but ask, well, I'd tell you to ask Jim Flaherty, but unfortunately he's not with us anymore. I used to go after Jim Flaherty quite a bit because in his early years, he drove up spending quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, These guys continue to drive up spending quite a bit. There used to be the thought that, well, you you spend in bad times to stimulate the economy. You save in good times. We keep being told we're in good times, so wh- they're still spending. I'm perplexed. So uh, th- that is the critique. I mean, I think we need to – I mean, the larger picture is in the long term for the federal government is, is still one of long-term sustainability. I mean, the deficit is still – below 1% of GDP. Uh, The world isn't coming to an end. Uh, But the critique essentially is that uh, things are not going to get any better from here. We're we're at the high point of of the economic and and fiscal conditions. So the economy is going to slow. You have the uncertainty around NAFTA that could be just around the corner. Uh, public debt charges are actually starting to rise again. Uh, there's just uh, things are not going to get any better. So uh, it was essentially the, the last opportunity. Uh, if they wanted to balance the budget, this was the last opportunity to do it. Now they would argue, and others would argue that you know it really it's no big deal. But if that's what your priority. Uh, is and some people think it should be. Then, uh, it, then they passed up that opportunity. You were you were in there. You were speaking to a lot of uh, business oriented folks. Uh, I've been hearing some of the comments from them. Uh, some mm-hmm. of them are concerned about uh, the increase in spending, the tax changes in the U.S., and the lack of a plan. I'm not looking for Canada to fail because, you know, Justin Trudeau's in. I always want Canada to to succeed. But I'm not sure that when I look at their tax planning right now that they're fully prepared for the tax changes the Americans are bringing in, which could see, to use an example everyone can understand, Restaurant Brands International, they own Tim Hortons, they own Burger King, they own Popeyes. They're ostensibly headquartered in Oakville, Ontario. Uh, well, they could soon be headquartered in Delaware because it's a lot better for them. I think you're right. I, I mean, the playing field has really changed over the last year on the competitiveness front. Uh, Canada has always had uh, these competitiveness struggles. So we're not particularly a competitive uh, economy, not a very productive economy. Uh, but uh, I always point out it goes back to Laurier uh, at the least that we've said, okay, we've got to have lower taxes than the Americans to, to get investment. Well, uh, you know, exactly. Um, and, um, uh, you know, during the 90s, um, that was a big push uh, from the business community, uh, late 90s, and then, then the tax cuts uh, did come, the corporate tax cuts did come um, in the mid uh, part of last decade. Uh, and and the business community was happy with that, and and, and the Americans uh, were happy with their higher corporate tax rate. So the the playing field really has changed over the last year, and and the business community is getting concerned in a way that I haven't seen them uh, act so active on the political front in a while, to be honest with you, as I've seen in the past few months. And and the and the this budget 
uh, didn't have much to say about competitiveness. And I think uh, uh, the government is facing uh, some criticism around that issue. Uh, Morneau is talking about you know, waiting to see how things unfold in the, in the U.S. and that the responsible thing to do is wait to see how things uh, develop and, you know, what the uh, impact will be um, at the end of the day. Uh, but uh, this is going to be a real tension point, I think, for the government in 2019. Uh, I don't think two years ago that when they were looking forward and trying to plan out um, how the two years before or the last budget, let's say, before the election would look like. I don't think they were expecting this this uh, pushback from business. I mean, because no one knew that corporate tax cut was coming in the States. Uh, but now uh, things have changed. And this is, I think, going to be a real, real tension point uh, uh, in the 2019 election. Uh, sorry, it, 2019 budget before it, the election. It, it did seem that a lot of what was in at least Bill Morneau's budget speech was election-oriented. And that's not unusual. Yeah, no, yeah, I've been it's covering. Not, it's not unusual. I think I've covered all but two or three budgets since two thousand and one, uh, and fiscal updates as well. I wasn't in the lockup today, and I think I, I think I've skipped three since two thousand and one. They are always very political documents. Um, is this is today's less political, more political, about the same? It's it's definitely a political document, and. Uh, uh, they're always. It's actually always surprising how political they are. Even though I've done, uh, you know, a dozen of these, um, uh, it, it, it always strikes me how uh, how political these things can get. Well, especially uh, the speech, even more so than the actual numbers and 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 in uh, in the hard documents. The speech is so political. Yeah, I mean, I don't begrudge them that. Uh, I mean, they do have an agenda. Uh, they, you know, they are. Um, you know, catering to certain priorities. So, um, and they've decided to use uh, whatever there was. You know, they did have some fiscal space in this budget. That uh, some spending came in uh, less than expected. Some infrastructure spending is not getting out the door as quickly as they thought. Uh, so they had some space space to play with, and 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 they chose instead of saving that money that they had uh, to play with, they chose to bank it. And to and to spend it on on some some uh, priority areas for them, and you know, and that's you know how politics is played in Ottawa. Um, absolutely, and as you say, they it, every budget is like this to one degree or another. And what can you say, uh, Theo? Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. It's always the, a pleasure. Theo Arjitas is the uh, the bureau chief for Bloomberg up on Parliament Hill, and uh, you'll be hearing more from him as Bloomberg and BNN start partnering up. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Yeah, get me close. 
So you've heard nothing but nonstop calls about Russia, 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 Russia interfering in the American election. Russia did this. Russia did that. And now we've got a story out that says a NATO researcher is warning of potential Russian interference in the 2019 Canadian election. Now, this comes to us from the Canadian press, and it comes on the same day as Hope Hicks was appearing before a, a committee on Capitol Hill. The House Intelligence Committee today had a closed-door interview with Hope Hicks. She used to be the uh, director of communications for President Trump, and they were asking her about Russian interference. That was a whole part of it. One of the key questions we expect Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee to pursue is Hope Hicks's role on that Air Force One flight back from the G20 summit where she helped the president respond to questions about that Trump Tower meeting involving Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, and a number of Russians. Mark Corallo, the former spokesman for the Trump legal defense team, has claimed that Hicks has said that information about the meeting's real purpose would never get out, an allegation Democrats would certainly want to focus on. Now, I, uh, I know that everyone wants to focus on Russia. I've been warning about foreign interference in our elections for a long time. The Ontario PCs are about to have a, a leadership contest where all the voting is done online. And people have said, well, we should be moving that way federally. And I'm like, mm, no, no, don't like that idea. Well, why not? Uh, because China that should be all I need to say, because China, China wants to change the way our country operates. They want our natural resources. They want to buy into, as they recently have, our high tech industry, our defense industries. They have bought into our uh, healthcare industries, buying up B.C.'s largest long term care provider. They want to buy into um, our construction industry. They're trying to buy Acon. I'm sorry, but if I was a large private sector builder or a government, I would not be hiring Acon if they're owned by China. But I also think we should be worried about Russian interference. We should be worried about American interference. But we got this story from the Canadian press, Mike Blanchfield. Mike Blanchfield is a, a solid reporter, but he obviously just hasn't taken the time to Look at the fact that we had American interference in our last election. So he says a leading NATO researcher says Canada should assume Russia will attempt to interfere in the 2019 federal election because that would serve the Kremlin's purpose of helping destabilize the military alliance. The allegations of Russian meddling in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, as well as attempts to disrupt votes in Germany, France, the Netherlands and Czech Republic, among other countries, makes Canada a natural target. Janice Sartz, the director of NATO Strategic Communications Center of Excellence, said in an interview. Well, um, Russia and Saudi Arabia have been, as have been the Americans, funding anti-oil groups for a long time to make sure that the Canadian economy doesn't grow, to make sure that our oil does not get to tidewater, that our natural gas operations like the liquid natural gas pipeline and outfit on the west coast of BC, that those things don't go through because that would interfere with Russia and Saudi Arabia's economic interest because, uh, yeah, they want to keep selling to us. If energies gets built, the Saudis lose out. 
if the liquid natural gas port on the British uh, Columbia West Coast goes through, the Russians lose out because they've now got a competitor. So they've been funding this for a long time. But you know who else has been? Billionaires out of California like Tom Steyer, the guy that you keep seeing on CNN trying to impeach Donald Trump. Organizations like the Tides Foundation out of San Francisco that send millions and millions of dollars to their Canadian Tides Foundation operation ahead of an election. As long as it's six months before the election, they can spend it on whatever they want during the election. Money was sent to Lead Now by organizations like Tide and the Oakwood Foundation. Money was sent to organizations like the Dogwood Initiative by rich lefty billionaires. And this has all been documented. This has been talked about at committee. Senator Linda Frum even raised the issue with Eve Cote, the commissioner uh, for Canada elections, who is in charge of investigating violations. And he said, as long as they take the money six months before the the rich drop, there's nothing we can do. All right. So stuff the pockets of Canadian left wing organizations six months before the election. Have them do whatever you want. And it's all legal, including secret get out the vote campaigns. Dogwood Initiative and Lead Now ran several get out the vote campaigns in key ridings that they claim helped defeat at least 25 different conservative MPs. They gave Justin Trudeau his majority, and it came with foreign money. We don't have to worry about foreign interference in the 2019 election. We had it in the last one, and nobody cares because it went the way the media and the liberals wanted it. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the Use. Uh, Pierre Poliev is next on The Budget. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. We've seen about a third of our economic growth over the last 40 years as a result of women, women entering the workforce. And we're focused on how we can ensure the continued success of women, helping Canada to continue to be economically strong. Bill Morneau making a big deal about women and the economy. I'm not going to downplay women and the economy, uh, but I will. I'm going to raise issues with that with Pierre Polyev in a minute. Let me uh, let me start, though. Pierre Polyev is a conservative MP for the riding of Carleton. He's also the P, uh, the conservative finance critic. Sorry, I'm going back and forth between federal and uh, provincial an awful lot these days. I almost said you're the PC critic. Um, you're the conservative critic on finance. Pierre, <clears throat> I want to start on the uh, a very, very local issue. New money for a library today from the feds. Library and Archives Canada will partner with the Ottawa Public Library. I'd say this is probably a good thing for the city. Yeah, I hadn't heard much about it before. And in, in my five elections, um, knocking on doors, it, it hadn't come up uh, in the community. Um, more often I hear about the need to repair rough uh, rural roads or build the Strandard Armstrong Bridge as we did some years ago, but uh, apparently this was a request to the city, and it uh, it's now been funded. 
So that that's a good thing. Uh, Phoenix Pay System, I don't know whether to laugh or cry over, though. Um, we have spent close to a billion dollars on it. Now we're going to scrap it and start from scratch. They keep blaming the previous government, which you were a part of, and saying, well, it's all your fault. What? Do, how do you react? Well, the system wasn't ready to go, and that's why we didn't launch it uh, under the Harper government. We we took a look at it, and we realized it wasn't ready. We told the public servants to stick to the drawing board until it was, and uh, we lost the election. The liberals took over. They were warned that they should not proceed by uh, consultants who work on the project, and they did anyway. They uh, pulled, you they had two, trigger two years ago any... tomorrow they pulled the trigger on it, and yeah. I'm told that before the election happened that under the conservative administration, under Stephen Harper's government, that there was a dry run of 10,000 names done to see how the system would work. So not an actual payday, but let's see, could it do it? And it was a disaster. And at that point, whoever was in charge said, okay, this isn't going to work. Go fix it and come back to us when it's fixed. And then the election started. And that, that, that I'm not familiar with that uh, part of the story, but uh, I do know that the previous conservative government said, nope, we're not launching it. It's not ready. We'll get it done, and then we'll launch it. And that's why I can say definitively, and no one can dispute this, that there has there was not a single Phoenix pay problem when the Conservatives uh, were in power. Let me ask you about the overall budget then. I mean, Bill Morneau, um, I just found it beyond strange that you've got this man standing up there saying that women are vital to the workforce. We need more women in the workforce. Uh, they bring so much to the workforce, none of which I disagree with. But then he said... Effectively, but you can't do it without the patrician federal government getting involved. Uh, Pierre, I'm 46 years old. I'm closer to retirement than starting my work uh, life. And I don't know a single woman that has ever been told of my generation or younger that they can't do a job because they're a woman. It sounded like he was the finance minister of 1962 trying to appeal to these newfangled women's libbers. Listen, I, I think we should focus on results. Um, how do we improve the quality of life for women? Let let uh, our economy grow. Let people pursue their dreams and keep more of what they earn. Uh, we during the Harper era, the conservative government oversaw a period of very robust middle class income growth. But what's most interesting about that income growth is that. Uh, Female incomes rose twice as fast as male incomes. So the uh, median income for a female worker in Canada during the time Prime Minister Harper was in office saw her after-tax and after-inflation take-home pay go up by 14%. Men went up 8%, also good. But, uh, you know, how did it happen? Well, we lowered taxes, we removed red tape, we allowed our entrepreneurs to hire and grow, and lo and behold, everyone was better off. You know, and I remember during the depths of the recession, doing the monthly jobs report, I used to have to go in and report to a series of stations, radio stations across this country, on what their their local job numbers were. So I had to go in and, and report to 
Montreal and Toronto and London and St. Catharines and Windsor and Kelowna and so many others across the country and say, here's what it is. And often I would be looking at male versus female. And even during the depths of the recession, women were their their unemployment rate was lower, much lower than men. Um, anytime I talk to to women about economics, what do they want? They want good jobs for themselves, for their family members, for their kids, for their husbands, for everyone involved. I don't know what these uh, new programs are. It, it sounds like there's more words that go into the programs than thoughts. Right. And and I think that's typical of the Trudeau government. Andrew Scheer did a calculation today that during the time that Bill Morneau spoke, we added, he added $1.5 million to our national debt. So that either means he was talking too much or spending too much, or probably both. But uh, there is a lot of talk, there's a lot of spending, but there's not a lot of results. Let's talk about the deficit. Because you remember, your old boss got up, and it was on TV, he held his fingers really close together, talking about how Justin Trudeau was going to run three small deficits of $10 billion a year. He's never hit close to $10 billion a year, has he? No, it was uh, in his first two deficits were between 80 and 100% bigger than he promised. This deficit is three times bigger than he promised, or uh, 200% bigger than he promised. Furthermore, he had promised that next year the budget would be balanced. Now, but it would balance itself, right? Right. Okay. But now he admits that it won't balance itself for another 25 years, during which time we will have added a half a trillion dollars in debt. That's trillion with a T. I, I was speaking with uh, Theo Argitis from Bloomberg uh, a little while ago, and he said, you know, I, you know, I'm reading the wire copy that I'm getting. I wasn't in the budget lockup today. It's why I hate not going into the budget lockup because you you need to look at the documents in depth to really know what's going on. And uh, he said, no, this this idea that there's going to be a balanced budget in 2023, he said the projections in the budget only go to 2022. And you're pointing to a document that goes back to, what, late last year that says sometime close to 2050, we'll get into balance again. Yeah, so the government only releases its long-term financial uh, forecast on the Friday before Christmas. This is a change that Justin Trudeau, Mr. Transparency, brought in. Uh, We used to report this in our budget and in our fall economic statements. Anyway, now we're only getting this document. It's released, you know, late in the afternoon on a Friday, right before Christmas, when everyone is sitting around the the fireplace, um, uh, thinking about so the, uh, this past Christmas, it was December twenty second, probably yeah. after four o'clock. Right, and and then in that document, quietly released, they, uh, the Trudeau government admitted their plan would have us balance the budget in twenty forty five, and that assumes Brian that they don't add any new spending to the system. If they add more spending, that will add more years of borrowing. But if they don't add any new spending, then we can optimistically hope 
that in the year 2045, Canada will finally stop adding to its national debt. And yet next year they've got a, well, this year they announced that they're looking at a national pharmacare program. Um, so we can assume that in next year's budget, just ahead of the election, they're going to announce that it will be in there in the future and then campaign on it and say, but you better elect us because those mean conservatives won't give you free drugs for your kids. Uh, Pierre, in all my time of submitting the many, many prescriptions, I'm a typical guy. I don't have a lot of prescriptions. Uh, I just try and avoid talking to doctors except Dr. Barry Dworkin when he's on the air. I just don't like going. So I don't have a lot of them, but my kids do. And I've never had one of them turned down until January the 1st when this new Pharmacare program brought in by Dr. Eric Hoskins when he was Ontario's Minister of Health came in. And all of a sudden, my daughter Emma's prescriptions no longer covered because it's got to go through the provincial system first. Wow. And they say, we we don't cover that. It costs too much. Isn't that interesting? That's the government system. You know, it's interesting you point out that Kathleen Wynne's health minister will be in charge of planning Justin Trudeau's national pharmacare plan. Well, we've already had Dalton McGuinty's uh, Green Czar plan, the the carbon pricing plan. Why not? And that's the way it's heading right now. We mean, Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGuinty have made a mess of Ontario, and now... They, uh, we want uh, Justin Trudeau wants to put the the Win McGinty team in charge of your medicine. Doesn't that send chills down your spine, Pierre? Thanks for the time tonight. Good to be with you, Brian. Pierre Poiliev, he is the conservative finance critic, the conservative MP for Carlton, and uh, join us on the line to talk about the budget. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the budget. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. That's the email address. When we come back, I want to read to you some of what Terry Glavin had to write McLean's about the National Security Advisor, things I hadn't even heard of yet. This is the guy Justin Trudeau sent out to blame India. And after 8.30, well... I'm not happy that we've got Omar Cotter's former lawyer headed to the federal court, but Solomon Friedman says it's a great idea. We'll talk to him. Remember, he's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison and time keeps dragging on. So on the weekend, I was the first person to name Daniel Jean, <clears throat> Daniel Jean, the National Security Advisor, as the person that was out spinning the media. Um, and now others are in the media are pointing towards him as well. Others in the political class are pointing to him as well, including the conservatives who have been bashing the liberal government for two days now, asking why they were sending out their national security advisor to do partisan political spin. 
Here's Andrew Scheer asking Justin Trudeau about that in the House of Commons today. The, the, the professional public service and public service does high-quality work. Hold and when, on. Uh, one of our top diplomats and security officials uh, says something to... My mistake. Let me start that again. Prime Minister, tell the House whether or not anyone in his office arranged, organized, or participated in the media briefing provided to reporters that included the allegation that the government of India was somehow involved in his embarrassing blunder in India. Right, Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I can understand where the opposition finds this difficult because for 10 years they uh, used uh, the the professional public service uh, for partisan ends. They torqued the public service every possible way they could, and they do not understand that our professional Nonpartisan public service does high-quality work, and when uh, one of our top diplomats and security officials uh, says something to Canadians, it's because they know it to be true. Order. What? When they say something to Canadians, it's because they know it to be true. They've been under pressure for two days now about Daniel Jean who was the national security advisor. By the way, he was the deputy minister of foreign affairs in the lead up to the last election. He does not have any real national security experience. But Justin Trudeau came in and Justin Trudeau came in and didn't like the previous occupant. He didn't like Dick Fadden because Dick Fadden, in his view, was too close to Stephen Harper. Now, I've known Dick Fadden a long time. Richard Fadden served under several liberal governments. I believe he started his political career under Trudeau the first. Worked all through Mulroney, worked all through Kretchen, worked all through Martin, worked his way up, ended up as the head of CSIS, ended up as the deputy minister of national defense, and then as the national security advisor. But Justin Trudeau didn't like him. He thought that he was just a little bit too much of a conservative, which would be wrong. Richard Fadden is what you want in a public servant. He is someone that is scrupulous in being nonpartisan. As opposed to Daniel Jean, who was trotted out to sell the government line. Now, I'm going to recommend Terry Glavin's piece. And in the news break, I'll tweet it out and I'll post it on Facebook. Daniel Jean is the new... National Security Advisor for all for the last two years. He was also the man trotted out to say India was behind this push to have Atwal, the convicted would-be assassin, at the dinner in an attempt to embarrass Justin Trudeau. What else do we know about Daniel Jean? That's what Terry Glavin goes into in depth. Talking about how this guy was pushing for a an extradition agreement with China when nobody else was. This is a guy who 
is soft in so many ways when it comes to issues that we need to be concerned about. And yet he's our national security advisor being used as a dupe by Jerry Butts and Justin Trudeau. Who is Daniel Jean? That is the question that Terry Glavin asks and answers. He says, last June, Jean and senior Communist Party uh, Wang Zhongquin, Secretary General of the Central Political and Legal Affairs Commission of the Communist Party of China, hammered out a cyber hacking deal that purports to protect private Canadian corporations from international or sorry, intellectual property theft but it contains no provisions addressing Beijing's hacking of government institutions, something that I pointed out was a problem at the time. When he was Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs in 2015, Jean was urging the government to proceed with an extradition treaty with China, something no government, liberal or conservative, had wanted to do before. And he's been willing to let China buy up every single company that comes through, even though previous occupants of that office have been very cautious about letting dictatorial regimes come in and buy up Canadian enterprises. And he's the guy you're going to bring forward as your source on China? Let me put it to you this way. This guy has to go. In any other administration, he would be gone. Except Justin Trudeau does like China's basic dictatorship. And that hasn't changed since he made that comment at a liberal ladies-only fundraiser Back in 2013. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Uh, Solomon Friedman will join us next to explain why Omar Khadr's lawyer going to the federal court is not a problem. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. So yesterday, I brought you the story of Omar Khadr's defense lawyer being appointed to the federal court. Um, Not a lot of people wrote about it. The government put out a press release, ostensibly. They wanted people to write about it. And, And so I did. And I thought, okay, well, who's John Norris? And I looked him up and I went to his website and let me just go to you. The post that I wrote, which is based entirely off of um, the government's press release and John Norris's website, where he details all of his different clients. Because for pointing out that this is the judge that Justin Trudeau wants on the court, I was told that I was a hater, that I was a bigot, that I don't know facts, that I should do my research. I was told all kinds of things. Um, who is John Norris? I've probably scrummed the man, but I don't remember meeting him. As I said, I don't know John Morris, haven't met him. But who is he defended? Well, he was Omar Cotter's lawyer in one of the three cases that went to the Supreme Court. He was an intervener in two others. He has also defended 
Rahid Jasser. He was one of the two men convicted in the Via Rail tra- uh, um, train plot. That was the one they were going to try and blow up the trains going over the Niagara Gorge. Great guys. Um, I'm not going to try and say the last name of this man. We'll just call him Suresh. It's a Tamil name. Tamil names have a lot of consonants. Not necessarily as many vowels, but a lot of consonants. Uh, he was extradited from Canada, sent to the U.S., where he was, well, he pled guilty to helping the Tamil Tigers try and get submarine technology for their warfare. He also has defended Mahmoud Jabala, Adil Sharkoui, and several members of the Toronto 18. None of this is illegal, none of this is immoral. But when people are appointed to the court, you look at their track record. And this happens when someone has defended a pro-life group. Oh, the media loses their collectivist little minds. As soon as someone has defended a pro-life group once, that's it. They're not fit to be on the court. They defend a social conservative group once, they're not fit to be on the court. This guy has defended most of the major terrorist cases in the last 10 years or been involved in some way. And so I pointed out that I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Got blasted on Twitter by liberals, and now I'm about to get blasted on radio by my friend Solomon Friedman, who says, Brian, you got it all wrong. Lean into the mic, Solomon, and tell me why I'm wrong here on this. Because I'm not saying that Justice Norris is going to be a horrible appointment, But just as um, certain Supreme Court justices like Justice Morris Fish, who represented every sad sack criminal that ever came his way in Montreal, was always the criminal's best friend on the court, people have their, their sympathies, their biases, prosecutors that are appointed to the courts. People expect them to lean a certain way. I expect this guy to lean a certain way, and I'm not happy about it. Well, Brian, this is why you should be happy about it. Why? You should be happy about it because he's not the criminal's best friend or the terrorist's best friend. He's the friend of anybody who wants to see the state's power exercised with restraint. I think that John Norris, I don't know him personally, but I do know his track record. I know his reputation. I know his work has actually done some extraordinary work in advancing the rights of all Canadians. What you may not know about him is he's somebody who was uh, appointed as an amicus curiae. That means a friend of the court by the federal court. So the federal court judges have appointed him in the past to stand in for the rights of the accused and review secret documents that they don't get access to. This is in the – in particular, this is in the – uh, security certificate cases. Not just secu- security certificates. But, but, but that's national, how it started with Yeah, it. in any national security case where there's sensitive information, that he's somebody who's so trusted by the court to guard sensitive information and to represent a cause fairly, the court itself actually calls upon him. Well, because, I mean, the reason I raise this as the security certificate issue is that um, the amicus curiae and this whole process that he got appointed to had been put in place by Pierre Trudeau in the 1970s and was used many, many times, including to kick Ernst Zundel out of the country, with nobody raising an eye about the potential abuses. Well, John Norris was actually Un- part of the challenge that had the whole system found unconstitutional. Yeah, what, once it right? became guys that were jihadis. 
Well, I don't know if it became guys but, that were but, jihadis. But nobody, nobody was complaining when it was Ernst Zundel getting kicked out of the country. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get rid of that guy. That's fine. We'll get rid of anybody else. That's fine. But after 9-11, there became this industry of lawyers that wanted to stand up for everyone accused of trying to blow crap up in North well, America. I mean, part of it is that you know, when someone's charged with a terrorism offense, it's one of the most serious offenses you can be charged with. So the lawyers who tend to defend those cases are very experienced, are very skilled. Um, but what they're doing is they're standing- Some of them I find, quite frankly, sketchy. And right. I know I, – look, you and I have known each other a while and you, you are currently defending a guy up on terrorism charges. I am and proudly so, right? And, because- and I don't hold that against you. And then there are others – and I don't know John Norris. There are others that I'm not going to name because I don't want to defame them that leave me looking and saying – Really? Is this the only kind of case you take on? Well, I think, you know, people develop a certain expertise. But what, you know, the trouble is when we, when we start to identify defense counsel with their clients, we forget that the primary role of good defense counsel is to protect the rights of all Canadians, right? By holding the state to account, we want, and, you know, I think, I think you're like-minded here, we have a certain distrust and skepticism of big government. Yes. And when big government starts labeling people as enemies, you know, and we see it nowadays where people are stripped of their jobs, sometimes their liberty, just based on, you know, an inflamed mob that thinks they've done something wrong, no evidence, no due process. You have I don't def- know what you're talking about. <laughs> that doesn't happen these days. Not at all. Well, not, not to you and me, thankfully, but, but to others, right? Um, we need defense counsel who say, hold on a second. You're presumed innocent. Due process means everything. And I know that as, as defense counsel, I want to be in front of a judge who has, who has a healthy skepticism of the state, who knows that the government is not perfect. You know, it's interesting. We, we see in this case, the Omar Khadr case in, in particular, what, did, what was John Norris fighting for in the Omar Khadr case? He wasn't fighting for a $10 million settlement. He was fighting to bring him home as Canadian law required, right, to repatriate uh, criminals who are well, serving sentences no, no, elsewhere. No, I'm going to disagree with you there because the Supreme Court did not say in their ruling that the uh, that the Canadian government needed to repatriate Omar Khadr. Now that was John Norris's argument, mm-hmm. but the Supreme Court didn't find that. And uh, you know, I, I've been watching people, and I just don't engage with people online that don't know what they're talking about. Uh, you've read the decisions. I've read the decisions. You and I both know what was discussed in the cases and what the Supreme Court ultimately found. And they ultimately found that, yes, Omar Khadr's rights were breached Mm. when a long, long time ago when he was arrested. And it wasn't the previous government. Everyone wants to make things partisan. Oh, absolutely. And and I don't. And and I don't want to even want to blame Kretchen or Martin. It happened under their watch, but that's not a partisan thing. It happened under their watch. Uh, Stephen Harper just saying... Okay, well, we're not going to try and bring them home is not a rights violation. The rights violation was interrogating him under certain conditions. Right. Bringing him home was the remedy for the the violation. It was the sought remedy. Right. But it was for the violation that had occurred long ago. You know what? I'll tell you something. But the Supreme Court never found that. That had that was the remedy that had to be sought. No, you know, it's what's sort of interesting though. What really strikes me most about this appointment is John Norris, like a lot of defense lawyers, is a guy who's been a pain in the neck for governments. Right? He has made governments look bad. He has stood in their way of incarcerating people, like a lot of defense lawyers do. And notwithstanding that, the government appoints him to the bench. Right? In other words, that well, tells the you current about- government does because the current government gave Omar Khadr ten and a half million dollars. They're having dinner with Jasper Atwal in India. He's having meetings with Joshua Boyle. There's nobody this 
current no. prime minister doesn't like. Right. Well, but in terms of there, there are many ongoing terrorism prosecutions now. The point is that when you have a defense lawyer and you say, I know that the system you defend is much bigger than any one accused person. You are therefore fit for the bench because our judges, we actually have a, a very independent system of judicial appointment. I appear in front of judges all the time. Some of them were crowns, prosecutors. Some of them were defense lawyers. But it, you know, in general, it's it's not a political system like we have it in you know in other jurisdictions. So I'm okay, impressed that the government appoints on. somebody who fights against the government's interests. We all don't the time. have a political judiciary. I know you have to appear in front of them, but give me a break. I I've been covering courts for a long time, and once you get to a certain level, your appointment depends on your political interest. Do your political viewpoints and how you view the judicial system align with the government that's going to appoint you? That's very interesting because you brought up Morris Fish. I had the distinct honor of clerking for Morris Fish. Morris Fish is a guy who was appointed to one level of court by a liberal government and then appointed to another level of court by a conservative government. You know, uh, I, uh, I, under when, Brian Mulroney. Right, but when I tell but, that to my American friends who are like, you're a Republican or you're a Democrat appointment, we do not have that. We're very lucky to have a relatively arm's length judicial appointment process. I know people who have been appointed of well, all li- political Okay, strengths. let me say this. Liberals only appoint liberals to the bench and conservatives appoint some conservatives and mostly liberals to the bench. With regard, you know, I've seen this new judicial appointment process unfold. I know the quality of the lawyers who have been appointed to the bench. I have to say, look, I can criticize the government till the cows come home, this government in particular. Um, There's lots to criticize. When it comes to their judicial appointments, I must say uh, at all levels, superior court, court of appeal, and now I don't pay too much attention usually to the federal court. Don't tell the federal court I said that. (laughs) Uh, uh, You might have to with some of the clients you're taking on. uh, But the superior court, the court of appeal – we have seen really phenomenal appointments from all different backgrounds, right? There's lots to criticize. This judicial appointment process, it's taken a long time. I actually criticized how long it took to get these judicial appointment uh, well, we're, up we're and running. St- we're still underserved, right? There's no, not no enough doubt. judges appointed. No doubt. But I think that speaks a lot to the quality of the appointments who are ultimately being made. I want to see a good mix of prosecutors. The prosecutors who I deal but, with are, are, you know, serve with integrity, but also defense counsel who stand up for the rights of all Canadians. Speaking with Solomon Friedman, the man I have in speed dial for when I get arrested for doing stuff I shouldn't. Um, Solomon, <laughs> I always say that, but it's true. One day, you know. And I'll be happy to take your call, Brian. Yeah. It's just, it'll be, uh, yeah, I've, it finally happened. I did something I shouldn't. Um, but when you're appearing before different judges, Honestly, here, just two guys talking, not the tens of thousands of people listening. All right. Ignore them. It's just you and me. Done. When you're appearing before a judge, do you consider as you're preparing your arguments and and you want to go a certain way, do you think, this guy used to be a crown, this guy used to be a defense lawyer? Does it impact how you make your arguments? That's a good question. To me, it's much more important, you know, what cases they have decided as a judge then as their future career, I'll give you a great example. I appeared in front of a judge once uh, to argue a firearms case. I defend a lot of otherwise law-abiding gun owners, target that, shooters. That's how we met. That, that is how we met. That's right, way back when. And I was appearing in front of this, this judge, and I had looked at his previous background. He was a police officer, uh, previously an RCMP officer, actually. And I was worried that you know, he'd have this skepticism to, you know, we know the RCMP's history with some gun owners. In this they, they don't like civilians owning guns. And, I, and you know what? I walked in, I was, I was a younger lawyer then, and I walked in with this preconceived notion. And I could not have been more surprised about how open and understanding and thoughtful in terms of his application of the law. And it taught me then not to prejudge a, a judge by his career, not to say that that's at all a disqualification, 
But judges, when they get appointed to the bench, they, they actually do shed to a great degree. The, the very best of judges shed that previous skin, and they're no longer advocates for one side or another. Some of the best judges well, I know are crowns. Some of the best judges I know were, were defense lawyers in a, in a former life. And that's, that's part of the judicial role. And, and maybe I've spent too much at, uh, time at the Supreme Court where I can look at the politics of the judge appointed, like Maurice Fish, and, and sometimes I agreed with him, or Rosalie Abella. Uh, sometimes I, I I'd agree with her. Sometimes I wouldn't. Um, uh, and and just I would assume how they're going to be voting. You know, I clerked at the Supreme Court, and I, I you know I sat in the courtroom for forty odd appeals. And I have to say, the judges surprised me all the time. And what was amazing also was to watch how open their minds were to debate, to being convinced by their colleagues, rarely being convinced by their clerks, unfortunately, to my great dissatisfaction. <laughs> I never convinced anyone of anything, but by their judicial colleagues and and how they approached matters really, really with an open mind. And, and I know, you know, we have a tendency to politicize the, the law and the judiciary to look at it through the, that lens. We're so fortunate in Canada. I say this as someone who represents some people who are despised, some people who are who are well liked. That virtually every time I stand in front of a, a judge, whether they're appointed by the province or the federal government, I truly believe that my client's going to get a fair shake. We're, we're very, very fortunate in that regard. I think John Norris is follows in that tradition. I think that the work he's done before has been courageous and impressive. And because if if we don't give the most despised people in society a fair defense, then we become a society by mob rule. You don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want government to have their tentacles everywhere. And just because you know the internet or Twitter thinks you're guilty, or maybe just because the prime minister thinks you're guilty, uh, you're um, deprived of due process. What case could you possibly be talking about there? <laughs> I'm going to keep uh, just to ensure that uh, the future <laughs> jury pool isn't isn't poisoned in any way. Um, you know, I, I think I, I think we're, we're lucky to have that kind of society. And, and I understand. You know, I read your column, and Brian, you know, uh, we we go we go way back, and I, and I read it, and I said. I said, this is one perspective, uh, but we have to look at the other perspective, which is every defense lawyer— Okay, but—and we're over time, but i got to put this out But we're there. having so look, much fun. When, um, when someone who is appointed—as I said off the top, someone's appointed that has defended a, a pro-life group once, I could name judges that have done that. And then they're appointed to the bench, and you get other lawyers critiquing it. You get the left-wing media— critiquing it and most lawyers are left-wing and most media are left-wing and they're all just jumping up and down and screaming about it and everyone talks as if this is the most horrible thing that's ever happened to the to the judiciary it's a one-way street and so i i make what i think is a mild critique of justice norris in saying look i i'm not happy about it and and people say oh you can't say that well you're all bloody saying it as soon as someone is on the other side politically. And Brian, they're all wrong because when we get called to the bar, we swear the barrister's oath. And it's an, it's an old English oath. It requires us to defend every cause reasonably founded. That is, I would never turn away a client because of their ideology or what they're accused of. And, and, and I think the most defense lawyers, most lawyers I know feel the same way. I don't think for one moment about the political implications of the causes that I defend. I'm, I'm a barrister. It is an honor to be able to litigate before the courts in this country. I know John Norris has, has felt the same. And the same critique uh, that you know, you're talking about is – I, I, I could make it against you. And, and, and I'm sure uh, – Based on some of your cases. Absolutely. But you know, if we understand the presumption of innocence and what it stands for, what our court system stands for, I think we're, we're very lucky to have an appointment like John Norris. All right. Well, we'll put it to the audience. We'll let them uh, have their say. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. You've heard from Solomon Friedman. You've heard from me. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. We'll go to the phone line shortly. Back in moments.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. All right, when we come back, I want to hear from you on a couple of different issues. You can call in at 521-TALK, 521-8255. You heard me debate with my friend Solomon Friedman, and we agree to disagree, but where do you stand on this? But be thoughtful about it. This is my only call to you. Be thoughtful about it. Just don't call up and say, I'm a Connors lawyer. Oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. Be thoughtful about it. I think Solomon made some good points, and we all want the best defense when we are before a judge. Um, maybe that's what it is, but here's my big thing because most of the media is not paying attention to it. And that is that we have a prime minister using a national security advisor to try and claim that India is the reason that he invited a convicted would be assassin to dinner. Not that, well, he's cozy with them. And as Jasper Lotwal says, yeah, he drops by, he calls me Jess. Hey, Jess, how you doing? None of that. No, it's all because the Indian government had this elaborate plot to have Randeep Sarai put his name into the PMO and then the PMO invite him. This is all a very elaborate Indian plot. It's, it's worthy of a Bollywood movie, which is appropriate because Justin Trudeau was dressed as if he was in a Bollywood movie for the entire freaking trip. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. I guess if you want to comment on the budget, you can call in on that as well. But really, it's their next election platform. Let's face it, folks. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Talk 580 CFRA. It was just an off-the-rack jacket, but it's a rare piece of pop culture. James Dean's red nylon bomber-style jacket will be auctioned this week in Florida. Palm Beach Modern Auction says it's expected to go for between $400,000 and $600,000. While it's still in good shape, it's got a cigarette burn on the left sleeve, and the waist had to be taken in to fit Dean. The current owner has had it since the 1980s after a friend with connections to the film left it to him in his will. I'm Archie Saraletta. If I had $600,000, I'd buy James Dean's jacket. What about you? <coughs> Sorry about that. Can't work my own mic button right now, and I've got a bit of a cough, it seems. James Dean's jacket from Rebel Without a Cause, up for sale. I think that's fantastic. It's a lot better than the federal budget, which was a lot of... Um, I wish I could remember the full acronym that my grade 12 teacher put on one of my um, 
my grade 12 teacher responded to one of my essays with a very long acronym. And I said, what's that? And he said, if you can't beat them with brains, baffle them with BS. And let me tell you, that's what Justin Trudeau and his liberals are trying to do with this budget. The whole thing is really just about trying to convince women to vote for them in the next election. Because they've got all these programs telling women, and ladies of the CFRA Nation, I want to hear from you. As I said earlier, I'm closer to official retirement than I am to starting my working career. And I don't know a single woman my age or younger that has been told they can't do a job because they're a woman. Now, my mother's generation, sure. My mother's 73. She's been retired for some time now. And I realized that this was a big issue a long time ago, but it's 2018. Sorry to, sorry to sound like Justin Trudeau because it's 2018. But honestly, and I say this as a father of two daughters, so I want the next generation to be able to do whatever they want. And Bill Morneau, Willie Porno, is up there talking as if if it weren't for him and his benevolence, women wouldn't be able to get a job. Heavens to Betsy, it's only because of him and the federal government that they can do anything at all. I really can't believe that this is what they're playing on. And yet it is. And then there's another issue that they're trying to use to try and get women to vote for them. And that is to say that they are going to try or they will look at having a prescription drug program. It's going to be headed up by Dr. Eric Hoskins, who just brought in Ontario's for everyone under the age of 25. So they said to Pierre Polyev, I've never had a prescription for my kids turned down. Not in 18 years have I had a prescription for my children rejected by any of the private sector companies that have been in charge of my benefits. And right now, I pay for all my own prescriptions. I pay for all my, my entire family's prescriptions. It comes out of my pocket. Just the way that my business is set up right now. But when I had coverage, it was always covered. You put in a prescription, they'll pay for it. And now, January 1st, my youngest daughter, go to submit her prescription. Not covered. Oh. Funny that. Why not? Yeah, province doesn't cover that. So the guy that set up that program is now going to set up a federal program. And it's going to be a fight because Quebec will say this is our jurisdiction, and Quebec already has a program. By the way, so does Ontario, so do most Ontario, uh, provinces across the country have a program that if you are not covered, they will cover at least part of it for you. It's means-tested, but it's there. 
But if they try and force it to be a national program, Quebec is going to say, well, we have most of the name brand drug manufacturers in our province, so we want name brand drugs given priority. And Ontario, which is more populous, is going to say, well, we have more of the generic drug manufacturers in our province, so we want the generics to be given preference. And of course, how do governments regulate any of this? They regulate it by simply cutting costs. They regulate it by making sure that you don't get everything that you want the way that I did on private drug insurance. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Do you have thoughts on the federal budget? Do you have thoughts on Justin Trudeau using the National Security Advisor to peddle conspiracy theories? Something that he admitted to in the House of Commons today when he said, if these people say it, it's because it's true. He won't offer up any proof because, well, they can't discuss national security issues on the floor of the House of Commons. They can leak it to select media outlets like CBC that will print it, well, I'd say verbatim, but they didn't quote anyone. They will print it unquestioningly. They can do all of that, but they can't discuss it on the floor of the House of Commons when elected officials ask the government, why are you blaming India for your own incompetence? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Michelle, you're on Beyond the News. There's so much to talk about. Let me tell you, just before I go to the budget, I um, was very happy because Sunday night I had received from the uh, Ontario PC Provincial Party confirmation that we had four tickets for the debate tomorrow night. And uh, Are you going so, to the debate? Well, we were until tonight when I just received another email that says that due to an overwhelming demand, requests for tickets were oversubscribed. A random draw was made from a number of orders, and sorry, but your request cannot be filled, which would be fine. So I started calling around, not only myself, but not one set of friends, not two, several people that I know this happened to. And, you know, I just think this party right now, I got to tell you, I'm really disappointed because I was looking forward to it. We planned everything. One of our children wanted to come. This was really going to be a family event. We were so looking forward to it. And and I have to tell you, with all the, the screw-ups that, that's happened with this provincial party, you think how hard would it be to count? You have so many seats. You've got so many. It's a first-come, first-serve. You send out, and then you say, I'm sorry, we have no more. They just continue to screw up on every level, and I'm starting to feel so disappointed. I had hope. And now I'm thinking, oh, my God, and we're still to receive uh, letters here, you know, and, Mar- and Friday is March the 2nd. Like, I just really am disappointed. I'd like to belong to a party that can pull it together. That can count? That can count. I mean, how difficult Math is, is hard. That? You know, Brian, it's beyond embarrassing now. I mean, the Patrick Brown thing was, like, unprecedented fiasco. But again, it, again, it, it's just, I just think, who's who's running the show here? Like, who's running the show? People, when you go to vote, really pay attention. 
like when Doug Ford stands there and he's talking about elites, you have to wonder, these people are earning very good money to hold these positions. What the hell's going on? Anyway, and so the same thing. All all I can tell you, Michelle, is that if you can't go to the debate, do you know where you can hear it? I'd love to hear it on your show, Brian. You can hear it right here at News Talk 580 CFRA starting at 630 tomorrow. Well, listen. And I'm going to carry it live. And then at 830, uh, when the debate is over, we are going to take uh, reaction from you and anyone else that wants to call in. And plus, we will get full-on reaction from every single campaign. Well, there you go, If you want a little bit of uh, opinion tonight, I'm so proud. It's going to be more fun than being there, okay? Well, you know what? Just sit back, pour yourself a coffee, a tea, a wine, whatever your poison is, pour yourself it and enjoy the debate in your easy chair. Well, you know, I. Just because it's you, I'm happy. I'm happy to listen. But I tell you, they tell, they ask you in the ma- in their email. You know, please consider watching it, and they give you a link. Well, you can't help but think. You know, you've adjusted things. You've arranged things. Like, you know, I spoke with someone tonight, and and they were saying, you know, you could have had a babysitter. You could have. Like, people are really disappointed. They feel really screwed over, and you know, and it and it's hurt. And I got people to join the party because because I'm so interested in it. And and now it's like, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I got these people to waste their time, and they too were excited to be attending. So you know what? Somebody should be accountable for something. And as well as our Prime Minister, your ego is preventing you from seeing the truth and the trouble that you're going to cause for this country. Shake your head. You're not that pretty. And as you get older... It's not going to, you're not going to look any better, dear. So, you know what? Why don't you start acting like somebody with a brain and start being accountable for what you've done? Stand up and be a man. And for young white boys in this country today, I feel very disappointed. For young men in this country, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to just say white boys, but I'm telling you, with affirmative action and all this stuff that's going on, you know, it's pretty dismal. It's really a dismal well, future for a lot of these kids. You know, I was saying to somebody earlier today that uh, the only people I know that have been told they can't have a job due to their gender are men. In, in my lifetime, true. it's men. It's men that have been told they can't get hired as teachers. It's men that have been told they can't get hired as nurses. Um, and, you know, I, I, I am against discrimination against women if they can't get hired just because they're women but i know men that have been told that yeah sorry i know you want to be an elementary school teacher but that's not going to happen because you know people look at guys that are teaching that grade and they think well you're kind of pervy when when i was growing up the 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 thought the training that came from our house was you know what you be the best you can at what you can do and you'll be rewarded for it, right? I mean, and that's how it should be. If you're working and you're the best person for the job, you should get the job. If you have the most qualifications, skills, experience, reliability, all of those things, but you shouldn't be put to the front of the line because what, you know what, all that stuff is nonsense. 
This country no. has defeated Look, if this country. I, if I was a business owner and I could pay women 69 cents for every dollar a man earns, what do you think I'd do, Michelle? You own a business? You have a family business? If you could pay women 69 cents on the dollar for men, what would you do? You'd never hire another dude again. No, no, you wouldn't. But the the whole the whole this trying to control every aspect. You know when he says let the budget look after itself and let's let this. Why don't you? Why doesn't the government step out of people's business? Oh, that'd be a good idea. I don't think it's going to happen. Thanks for the call, Michelle. Thanks, Brian. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. And 1-800-580-CFRA. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580-CFRA. If you're one of the many people that got uh, tickets to the leadership debate and then got told you don't have tickets, don't worry. You can listen to the leadership debate in the comfort of your own home. You don't even have to leave your home tomorrow. You can just turn me on. Turn on below. You can sit there and listen. I'm going to introduce it. Then we'll take it live. And then we'll take your reaction as soon as the debate is over. Althea Raj is going to be the host. But here's how one person from the Ontario PC party put it to me. They said, yeah, okay. I'm going to say, what, what are you doing now, Althea Raj, hosting a PC debate? And they said, she's going to get so many questions that she gets to ask and so many questions from the audience. So tomorrow night, just before 630, I'll interrupt the CTV News at 6 News we will go live and introduce the debate, and then we'll take your reaction as soon as it's over. So make sure you're listening in tomorrow, either on the radio at CFRA.com or on the iHeartRadio app, always free, Apple or Android. Uh, James, you're on Beyond the News. I guess my question is right now, like, with an 18 point whatever billion deficit, like, I live in Ontario and I sit there and look at it like they're paying a billion dollars a month in interest like when the yeah, interest ju- just in interest just the interest like so like how is any of this getting done like it just it, it boggles my mind because like we all sit there and we work hard and we like i own a small business on the side and honestly god like we you know nothing's worse than sitting down with your like owners and saying like Okay, we lent the business fifteen hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Sorry, uh, to get through January, and we're like with Kathleen Wynn, we're supposed to like make this work. It, it just it boggles my mind. Like, all right, I, I so the 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 federal provincial debt, according to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, they run a debt clock, is currently six hundred and fifty billion nine hundred and sixty three million, and growing by thousand dollars a second it seems and then the uh provincial debt in ontario is 311 billion 
and growing by about a thousand dollars. Well, about a thousand dollars every two seconds. That seems reasonable. Yeah. You know, what could go wrong? <laughs> Let's have National Pharmacare, and uh, it will cost more than the current system does, and you and your family will get less drug coverage than you currently do. Sound good? Well, no. The question is, like, I've worked for, like, private private government, like, private service for, like, a long time. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'll tell you right now, I've never got the January 1st, uh, you know what, we're going to raise your benefits. No, I pay I pay $1,300 a year to get good benefits. Like, yeah, and, 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 and look, I, I've, my mind, it's like, I've been there, James. Uh, and, and the good companies, you know what they do now is they'll say, you have so much for benefits, log into our website, and you decide where they go. And I love those systems. That's what systems. I'm doing right now. That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I love I those, I love those I, systems. I, I, you get to decide, do you want 70% drug coverage or 80 or 90%? How much do you want on eye care? How much on dental? That's all great. Uh, but with the provincial plan that they brought in on January 1st, you know what we got told? Yeah, sorry, your kids' uh, prescriptions, yeah, they're not covered. I guess the thing that boggles my mind is that, like, I work for a fantastic company, one of the top companies in in, in Canada, and, like, all my stuff, like, I want premium dental, I want premium this, I want premium that, but I pay for that. I mm-hmm. pay I pay $95 a month. And, and for, people think that we don't pay for it if it comes from the government, but we do. So what's happened? Like, what happens then? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, so I don't have to pay for it anymore. Like, it's just... You know, well, because a, they're, they're not engaged. I'm on, I'm on antidepressant. They're not so, like, engaged pay- the way you are, James. They're not engaged, and they think it's free because they don't look at what their tax bill is. Oh. You know, like, and I, like, I work in sales, and my problem is right now, like, I live in Ontario, so I, I can't write off anything for my business. So they just take all my money. So I need to, like, figure out a way to actually, like money back it's, it's it's a sad story right now especially in ontario and i can tell i can hear the frustration in your voice for sure it, yeah, it truly sure. is all right thanks for the call james thank you all right got to take a, a quick break back with more of your calls at 521 talk 521 8255 star 580 on bell mobility or 1-800-580 cfra i'm brian Lilly. this is beyond the news back in moments This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. Women in the workforce. That was uh, one of the um, that was one of the um, focuses of the liberal budget today. Ladies of the of the CFRA Nation, where are you tonight? Willie Porno. I mean, sorry, Bill Morno 
and uh, Justin Trudeau are making it sound like it's 1962 and you're not allowed to get a job unless your husband tells you to. Seriously, have you been paying attention to how they're describing things? You would think it's 1960 freaking too. Name me a woman under the age of 50 that has been told that she can't have a job because she's a woman. I'd actually say name me a woman under the age of 65 that's been told she can't have a job because she's a woman. In the last 20 to 30 years, at least. We've got some pretty powerful women in this building here. The head of CTV News is a woman, by the way. The chief anchor is a woman. I'm just not buying it. This idea that women can't have jobs in the jobs that they want unless the federal government gets behind them. And it just sounds so patrician. It sounds so patriarchal. Women are strong. We need more women in the workforce, but they can't do it unless we give them this program. Really? Really? Because that's not what I tell my daughters. It's not what any woman I know says or thinks. That's what Justin Trudeau thinks. Then again, he's never had to really apply for any job he's wanted in his life. He's just, he's Justin Trudeau. So, take that for what it's worth. I'm amazed that I'm, I'm not getting any calls on the fact that Justin Trudeau admitted that Yeah, he sent his national security advisor out to put a plot on India and claim that India was behind why he invited a convicted would-be assassin, a convicted terrorist, to not only dinner in New Delhi, but a big bash with a bunch of Bollywood stars in Mumbai. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Do you want to know why I think Twitter is often useful in terms of having a meaningful conversation? I'll tell you this before I get to the phone lines. It's because people just show up with their team jerseys on already and want to yell and scream about what they already think. And they don't want to look at anything that you've put forward. And so yesterday, as I posted about Omar Khadr's lawyer being appointed to the federal court, I was told that I was spreading lies. Okay, how? Um, Every single fact that I had in the very short post came from the government of Canada's news release or from John Norris's website from his legal firm. Well, today, here's what I'm being told. So I I tweeted out, first, Justin Trudeau gave Omar Cotter $10.5 million of your money. Now he's appointed Cotter's lawyer to the federal court. Well, Randy, Randy on Twitter who describes himself as the mortgage whisperer, reverse mortgage specialist, a 
chartered accountant, social advocate, always here for the little guy. Is he in Ottawa? Because if so, I'm not giving him any of my business. No, he's in Vancouver. Randy said, Mr. Cotter, not Omar, Mr. Cotter was a child soldier. He was defending his family. He was tortured while in Gitmo by the Bush administration. Harper stood by and did nothing. If he sued, he would have received more than $10.5 million. Stop being silly, Lily. All right. What part of that is fact? Was Omar Khadr a child soldier? Well, he actually would not have met the definition of child soldier by the United Nations when he engaged in military activity, nor, I believe, when he was apprehended. It was uh, moved down to 15 or moved up to 15 when he, after the fact, he was defending his family. How? His father was not there. His mother and sisters were elsewhere. He was engaged in jihadi activity. He was tortured at Gitmo by the Bush administration. That's debatable because I've read the Supreme Court decisions. They don't even admit to that. Harper stood by and did nothing. Hmm. Was Stephen Harper in power when Omar Khadr's rights were violated? Because the Supreme Court decisions actually were about his rights being violated in terms of how Canadian agents interviewed him. It was not about torture. It was not about anything else, but how they interviewed him. And that happened under Cretchen and Martin. It was mostly under Paul Martin. Paul Martin, who would be a liberal. I'm not saying that for partisan reasons. I'm just refuting what Randy from Vancouver says. So then, Randy says, if he sued, he would have received more than $10.5 million. You don't know that. I've seen lots of lawsuits go nowhere. Hmm. Somebody replied to him and said, and the widow of the man Cotter killed gets crapped on while this child soldier killed her husband. Cotter didn't deserve a penny. Well, Randy's response was, he was Bush's foreign invader. Um, Omar Cotter was born in Canada to parents from Egypt. I believe his mother was Palestinian. I Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But neither of his parents were from Afghanistan. They moved there. But Randy says that Sergeant Christopher Spear was Bush's foreign invader coming after his family in Afghanistan. You would do the same unless you ran away like Trumpy. Cotter, in turn, was tortured while housed in Gitmo. People will spew utter nonsense. Complete and utter nonsense. Online. Is there, like, do you get why I don't actually engage with folks on this stuff? This is what the left thinks. That Omar Khadr was defending his family in his Afghan homeland. He's not from Afghanistan and his family was nowhere near him when he was captured by American forces after throwing the grenade that killed Sergeant Christopher Spear. And you can find video evidence of his lawyer, his court-appointed lawyer, 
Colonel Jackson saying that he would not have allowed his client to plead guilty and admit to throwing that grenade if it were not true. Oh, but he he just did it under duress. He didn't do it. He's just a poor child soldier. He was a jihadi. He was a terrorist. Can he reform? I certainly hope so because we've given him $10.5 million and brought him back into our country and let him free. So, yes, I hope so. But don't sit there and spew this left-wing Mother Jones bullcrap at me. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Guy, you're on Beyond the News. Good evening, Brian. Um, With regards to Michelle's call and what I'm seeing on Facebook now and a few people who actually work on Parliament Hill, the same thing has happened. They were promised four tickets uh, over the weekend and on Monday night, Monday afternoon for me, actually, my four tickets were retracted due to overbooking. Now, I don't want to say anything further, but... But you're going to. Well, yeah, I've got a little bit of an issue, Brian. When you have a restaurant or you have anything, you you book to the numbers that you've got, but you don't promise somebody tickets and then send them an email back due to overbooking. We can't accommodate you. So what happens when they get enough votes for Carolyn Mulrooney? They'll stop counting for Doug Ford? Because I have a little other problem here, Brian. You really think Carolyn Mulrooney's out in front? Scott Reed, last Wednesday at 3.10 p.m. with Evan Solomon, made me some very interesting information known publicly. The PC Party of Ontario's Constitution does not have anything in their constitution which allows for appeals or third-party validation for any results, hence the reason we had Ottawa West Nepean and other numbers of nomination issues with the old Patrick Brown crew. Well, it seems that crew's still around, Brian, because, in fact, we now have learned that there is, in fact, nothing in the Ontario PC Party Constitution that would allow for or require them to allow for a third-party verification well, guy, of the results. Now, Demo- guy, hold on, guy, Watch hold on, guy, thing. hold on, hold on, guy. Don't don't quote Democracy Watch at me. Don't don't okay. quote him. Um, the here's the fact: they have hired a third-party contractor to run this online voting system in a very short order. Fine. This is a third-party contractor that has done many nomination races in the United States all online. Okay. They will have a national third-party recognized accounting firm, I'm told, to validate the results. You're told that. I, I was speaking with someone from LEOC this week. Is it KMPG or Deloitte and Touche? I'm going to find out. I will let you know. Is it the same people that handled the nomination kerfuffle for Hamilton? Is it the same people that handled Nobody the was nomina- handling the nomination kerfuffle you know from what, Hamilton. Brian, Toby Barrett just sent me a Facebook message saying the same thing. An actual MPP for the Ontario Progressive... Oh, hold hold on, to- Toby Barrett. Hold show. on, hold on. To- okay, A, watch your language on the air. I don't believe we have democracy and, and, and in this B, party, Brian. Well, look, I've got problems with this party, and I'm not a member. But A, watch your language on the air, and B, Sorry, and B, Toby Barrett, who is one of the few MPPs that backed Patrick Brown, yeah, when he came back, yeah, the guy, the guy that was in charge of saying, "Get me the result that I want." 
Yeah. You're going to listen to somebody that backed him. Well, let me just, let me finalize it with this, Brian. Why do I get a telephone call on Monday afternoon asking if Carolyn Mulrooney is my first or second choice, and then suddenly I get an email retracting my tickets? Coincidence? I don't think that Carolyn Mulrooney is, A, in charge of the party, or, two, in first place. Well, maybe you'd like to ask some of the people on Parliament Hill got their tickets retracted, too, Brian. Right now on Facebook, it's a storm. Do do you the word. Who do you think is in front right now? I don't believe that we have democracy in the Ontario PC party, and I don't trust any of them because past behavior goes to future behavior. And I would like to thank Scott Reed for making the point to Evan Solomon last Wednesday at three ten. Yeah, so so it the, is not in the the people that you're quoting at me. Yes, to denounce the PC case, party are. A, a liberal pundit, a liberal pundit who has no interest in the Ontario PCs ever looking good, right. and Toby Barrett, who was endorsing the man that was in charge of all Does the nomination processes that you are upset Does about. not trust his own party, and so, he said it on Facebook. But, but yet he was willing to trust the guy that was in charge when all the original nomination pros, uh, problems happened. Brian, at this point, with the past behavior, future behavior statement that I have then seen... Then don't vote, party, guy. Go join Jack McLaren. No, no, not interested in that, because I've got, I think this province has got one final chance, and I'm not going to basically voice who I think that final chance is. But he himself has said himself on a town hall that he is going to be like a blanket on these results and let's just hope that the lights don't go out like they did on Scarborough Rouge River and people, the lights went back on and people got caught running around with ballots in their hand. That's well, the uh, you can't, we have in this province. You, you can't do that with an online thing, thankfully. Thankfully. Well, uh, just, who yeah, are you backing? Just, Let me ask you, who's your first choice? Who's your second choice guy? Do you want to say? No, I don't. I don't because it's my vote, but it doesn't count, Brian, because we have no democracy in this party because it's corrupt. All right. Thanks for the call. Thank you. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Oh, I love all the people sending me uh, statements and articles from lawyers like um, about the Cotter settlement. Um, lawyers that are on the left, people that I disagree with. Look, I, I know Michael Spratt. I respect Michael Spratt. I disagree with him on the Omar Cotter's, Cotter settlement. Send it along. Uh, send me five lawyers and I'll get you seven different opinions. Interesting enough, though, is uh, Jerry Ritz, former conservative cabinet minister, jumped into the conversation within the last hour about Omar Khadr and his settlement and uh, the fact that Omar Khadr's lawyer is going to the Supreme Court. Jerry Ritz, who longtime 
ag minister in Stephen Harper's government. Now just a fun guy to follow on Twitter. Jerry Ritz XMP is his Twitter handle. He says about Omar Khadr, he killed a medic and bragged about it. Yeah, that's true. And uh, then he said, in response to this dude named Mark, is Mark even from Ottawa? I don't know. Mark follows me, but I've got followers across the country, so I really don't know. No, Mark's in Toronto. Mark said, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled we have an obligation to every citizen and they have a right of return. Actually, they didn't. They didn't at all. People are ignorant of what the law says, of what the Supreme Court ruling said. The Supreme Court said uh, Omar Khadr's rights were violated. You need to find a remedy. They They never told. And it would be improper for the Supreme Court to tell the federal government how to interact with a foreign government because Omar Khadr was being held by the U.S. government at the time, by Barack Obama's United States government. And at that point, Barack Obama had not even put in a formal request for Canada to take Omar Khadr back. Yeah, that's right. Your liberal hero, Obama, didn't even ask for him to come back to Canada. And yet when the request was made, what happened? Ooh, Omar Khadr came back to Canada under the Stephen Harper government. (gasps) That's right. Jerry Ritz tweeting out, we did bring him home. The ruling didn't mention any payment. People forget this. So Omar Khadr confesses to killing Sergeant Christopher Spear. His lawyer says he wouldn't have allowed him to do it without, unless it was the truth. Then Omar Khadr gets back to Canada, denounces everything he'd ever said in the past, and sues the government of Canada. And Justin Trudeau gives him a $10.5 million check. And these people that think they're standing up for the little guy are actually just standing up for the first family of terror. I know lots of liberals who are outraged at the payment to Omar Khadr, who don't like it at all. What I don't get are these people who are filling up my Twitter feed and my Facebook comments, defending the fact that we paid $10.5 million, defending that, okay, you heard my my argument with Solomon Friedman? Fine. You want to be on that side of the argument? That's fine. And I respect Solomon. And as a justice, I will respect Justice Norris until his rulings give me a reason not to respect him. That's the way I operate. But what I don't get are these people that just want to put on their red liberal jersey and yell over and over again about how Omar Cotter was hard done by. How? How was Omar Cotter hard done by? By the Canadian government. He was arrested in Afghanistan by American forces. He was taken to their jail. He received due process, including appeals to the United States Supreme Court, which told the U.S. government that they had to do things in a different manner. They did that. He appealed that. 
he had due process throughout. If he didn't, he wouldn't have had access, along with other inmates, to the United States Supreme Court. So don't feed me a line of crap and tell me it's pate on a cracker. Omar Cotter got due process, then he came back to Canada and sued the Canadian government because he didn't think they brought them home fast enough. Do you know how many Canadians are in foreign prisons around the world and we never lift a finger? And these people want to blame it on Stephen Harper? Do you know why Omar Cotter never got assistance in the early days? Because Jean Chrétien had helped his father get out of prison in Pakistan. Because little Omar went up to Jean Chrétien in a hospital and said, please get my daddy out of prison. And Chrétien felt sorry for him and did. And then Omar's daddy, Ahmed, went and financed 9-11, brought down the Twin Towers, attacked the Pentagon, killed almost 3,000 people. Would you help them? I wouldn't. Jean Chrétien was right. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. But remember, it starts at 6.30 tomorrow. Actually, probably just a little bit before that, we're going to take the PC debate live. And then we're going to get your reaction. If you're not there in person, make sure you're listening to News Talk 580 CFRA Beyond the News. Be Lil. Remember, I'm on your side.